I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Happy Monday, everybody. This is new. Yeah. Some some real life uh, stuff happened again, so we're, we're changing our schedule a little bit to come out one day early. Yeah. But but speaking of timing, I am reminded of uh, something that I've, I've said as a joke on the show a few times before. What's that? History keeps going, which is good because we'll always have more stuff to talk about. This is true. But then I just thought, well, now we're never going to catch up. We're never going to be done with it. They, <laughs> you had a little bit of a panic attack. There's, there's just Mid, a midlife podcast crisis. There's just too much of it. So I decided that for this episode, we'd go all the way to to the beginning and and try to cover as much as I can, just so. The, oh God, we're gonna be here a long time. We might be, <laughs> darling. We have we have a place to be at like seven. Well, first, we're going to cover the entire history of Earth. Okay. So yeah, to start, we're going to start with the Big Bang. So so let's just call that event one. Okay. Do you remember in college when I was like, well, how did anyone know it made a bang? Maybe it went doodly doodly. You didn't like that joke at all. I still don't. It hasn't <laughs> aged any better. <laughs> So, so it's as if there's like this massive injection of hydrogen that came out of nowhere into an empty void, right? Sure. That's what they say, I guess. Eh, that's what they say. Then we fast forward to get to about 4.6 billion years ago. There, there's a newborn star and around it is this accretion disk of like metallic rocky debris. Okay. And over time, chunks of that disk coagulated into the earth. Coagulate. And, and nine or more planets of, of the solar system. Mm-hmm. The, the first pieces to join together settled near the center of the planet. And uh, just kind of recently, in, in 2007, there's this laser drill experiment that uh, revealed what, like, the oldest, the first rocks to join together were like. And that, that's pretty cool. I, I encourage people to go look up those results. Dude, that's all you're going to talk about about it? <laughs> I, You're not going to tell us about that? This is a history show, not a science show. Ugh. So around 400 million years ago, Earth is still this lifeless rock, but it had cooled and solidified considerably. And, and there were organic molecules just floating around being kind of inert next to each other. And somewhere around this point, it is theorized that this incredible infusion of energy altered those compounds and organized them into the forerunners of the first life on Earth. The primordial soup, if you will. Soup! Uh, so, life begins to grow and evolve in fits and starts over billions of years. Uh, the, the fossil record only takes brief snapshots, right? Like, it... Pose for me, baby. <laughs> Oh, yeah, work it. Exactly, exactly Strict like that. pose. Show me that stuff. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> you were not expecting that. I love you, dear. I love you. <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> Fossils are only formed under very unique circumstances, and then we have to find them, and hopefully they, they haven't been destroyed by, you know, building things or even just geological processes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, for, for all we know, there could have been an advanced civilization on Earth 200 million years ago that then just disappeared. Maybe even two. Maybe even two years ago? Maybe even two advanced civilizations. Oh, okay. I was like, whoa, darling. <laughs> but if that was the case, they, they'd be likely to be a reptilian because mammals wouldn't exist for another 40 million years after that. Dinosaur humans. Yeah. Yeah. While we're being fanciful, why not? Yeah. Uh, then around. It's just dinosaur. <laughs> the the, the movie? show was no the sh- the show. Oh the the Henson. They Studios were right sitcom. all along. Okay. Uh, then around a hundred million years ago, the moon was grabbed by Earth's gravity uh, and pulled into orbit. Uh, if there were some other civilization back then that we don't know about, they were probably terrified. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. suddenly there's just, like, a thing. I mean, it, it is also conceivable 
that Earth formed a twin planet and that uh, when the moon arrived, it flung that one off by, by like destabilizing the, the paired orbit out beyond the solar system. Have we found this twin planet? Where would we even know to look? It's out in the dark. This was 100 million years ago. I'm just throwing out maybes. Oh, okay. So, 65 million years ago, something collides with the Earth, causing the extinction of the dinosaurs. Uh, There's this unusual trace amount of gold found in analysis of the crater. You don't find a lot of gold in most meteors, so that's just an open question. Yeah. Now, 12 million years ago, our earliest ancestors uh, see a sudden jolt in the fossil record towards modern human forms, uh, possibly responding to some new element in their environment, maybe just, you know, an alteration in climate or something like that. Okay. Uh, Once archaeological records begin, we see humanity develop by, by leaps and bounds. I mean, there is some enterprising early human responsible for fire and the wheel, after all. Fire. And uh, some theorize that groups of early humans were, were democratic, in a sense, you know, knowing that while one individual may be stronger than any other, uh, nobody is stronger than the whole tribe. Strength in, in numbers. Yeah. Now, while we're talking about the development of of early societies, I I have to talk about ancient astronaut theory. Your favorite. My absolute favorite. Your favorite thing in the whole world. Uh, This is the idea that early human civilization and development was aided by extraterrestrial forces. Uh Now, this is a a history show. We, We do not spread conspiracy theories, especially ones that feed into settler colonialist narratives about the capabilities of non white civilizations. That that is not part of our mission statement. We don't have a mission statement. If we did, it that would not be in it. Okay. Should we write a manifesto? Darling, you don't even have time to come up with an idea for an episode. But we could we could be like the the Dadaists. We could have our <laughs> own manifesto. Mm-hmm. Or like ten versions of it, but Okay. People, people in the future would look back on this history and read our manifesto for fun <laughs> on a podcast. Or whatever they have. Or whatever they do in the future. I don't know. Beaming at each other psychically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they go back to the traditions and, and do, uh, what did the Dada's call it? <laughs> the thing. The thing. Theater. Well, no, they, they had the event, the gathering or they had like a term that we talked about that was your episode i know i don't i'm tired i don't remember (laughs) just because i know history sometimes doesn't mean i always know the history sometimes i forget so so like i was saying just because horned demons and deities are popular across world mythology does not mean there were horned and goat-legged aliens influencing them or that these aliens are responsible for eliminating the last groups of Neanderthal man. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it'd be like fish people instead. Why would it be fish people? I don't know. Okay. I like fish people. They're uh, cool. Egyptian mythology is not a record of warring aliens, and the claim that there are pyramids on Mars is suspect at best. Oh, we have not seen them yet. Uh, same for the pyramids of Peru. Yeah. Uh, Valhalla is not a fancy word for UFO abduction. There is no time-spanning conspiracy to, to accelerate human technology, and human aggression did not come from the stars. Any claim that a treaded tank was in 12th century Essex is obviously some combination of exaggeration and translation error. Okay. And if there was some species in the shadows of our memory... Uh, if you ask me, I think we should shoot them on sight. Uh, but Atlantis, however, did exist. Oh, okay. Yes. I mean, it collapsed around the same time the Maya civilization was beginning. And we I kn- knew that cartoon was right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that was inspired by this discovery that Professor Zaroff made in the 1970s. Was he a Dadaist? I uh, <laughs> maybe maybe he, he was, his name is really similar to uh, he was mostly Zola. known as a, a geneticist actually uh, of course this is still in dispute thanks to the multiple Atlantises theory mm-hmm. while we're in antiquity just some some 
quick facts. Uh, the Trojan horse, also real, uh, and was proposed by Zeus, so the legend says. Uh, contemporary histories, like p- people who were at the Battle of Troy, uh, say that Zeus showed up, gave Odysseus the idea for the horse, and even rode inside it with the Greek army uh, before disappearing. More skeptical readings say that Zeus was just some old guy trying to stay out of danger. Mm-hmm. Nero intentionally burned down Rome. He got the idea when a clumsy musician accidentally set fire to a map. Oh. He, he saw a picture of Rome burning and was like, there we go. That's what I need for my... Uh, he, he also invented urban renewal. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, burn, just burn it all down like Chicago. To, to start from scratch. To start from scratch, yeah. Was the Chicago fire a conspiracy? Was it You'd have purpose? to ask the cows. Were they like, you know what? Burn it to the ground. Start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And Urban that, planning needs to... Uh, and that's why we keep all of our cows out in the rural areas, because they clearly did not appreciate city life. They want pastures to roam on. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. So, uh, so after Rome falls, after the empire crumbles, Western Europe falls into the chaotic Middle Ages. Uh, take the story of Lord Irongron, a, a robber baron who terrorized England until he was found dead in an exploded castle. I mean, that's one way to stop somebody, blow up the castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1215, King John was forced to sign Magna Carta, the beginning of parliamentary democracy, after his nobles saw him welcoming three demons who met him at a jousting match. That was the final straw. Or was it? Uh, that's what they said. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, in 1289, Marco Polo earned the chance to end his service to Kublai Khan and travel home to Venice uh, when he defeated a would-be assassin in a sword fight. Gotta do those sword fights. It, it's one way to, to impress your boss, I guess. Save yeah. his life with a sword fight. Yeah, you know, like, hey, I fought off people for you. Let me go home to Venice. Yeah, gotta have faith in me now. Uh, things turned around in the Renaissance, which... Uh, I would say symbolically started in 1492 in San Martino, Italy. It's weird that this story of, like, this Duke's succession uh, is so, like, symbolic for for the turning point of history here. Count Federico is a believer in in superstition and all manner of the supernatural, while his nephew Giuliano was an early rationalist, right? Okay. Uh, Today, we we would consider him a scientist. He, He liked natural philosophy and, and, you know, measurements and and testing things. Test those things. Uh, They each had claimed to be the next Duke of Milan. Uh, The current Duke was Giuliano's father uh, and Count Federico's brother. There you go. Uh, Federico got killed by his court astrologer, who then led his followers in an attack on the castle itself. Uh, Giuliano was inside holding this big masked party to celebrate him taking the, the dukedom. Uh, dukedom. Managed to... I like that. Managed to hold the castle against this astrologer while keeping the party going. Like, that... Well, yeah, you don't stop your party. A lot of respect for Giuliano here. Uh, the, the astrologer's cult were all killed, perhaps by their own hand. The record is pretty hazy. Like, they... I mean, it, it was written by people who are a bit more on, like, the Frederico side of history. So there's yeah. some embellishments and supernatural talk. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci was at the ball that day. Oh. Around 13 years before he would paint his six famous Mona Lisas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many Mona Lisas. Just couldn't get it right the first time. I mean... Or maybe she kept blinking. They were all perfectly identical. That's why they're so valuable and, and respected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, superstition never really dies out. Uh, Venice stayed closed to outsiders until 1580 out of fear of the plague, which was years and years after the plague had ended. Uh, well, you never know when that <laughs> plague might just reappear. Uh, the English Renaissance brought us William Shakespeare, whose one and only performance of Love's Labors One was known for its groundbreaking special effects and an all-improvised finale. Yeah. Uh, the Great London Fire of 1666 burned for four days and left nearly 90% of the city homeless. Uh, legend says it was preceded by sightings of the Grim Reaper in a nearby manor house. That makes sense. 
while the fire only killed six miraculously, uh, it may have saved thousands by killing plague-carrying rats. Oh, so so things are so good. So there you go. There's there's a silver lining. So now now we're in the age of sail and colonial trade, which means pirates. Arrgh. Captain Henry Avery, uh, the most profitable pirate in history, once captured a 25-ship convoy uh, making its way on the pilgrimage to Mecca. That made him the target of a worldwide manhunt. They never caught him, and in 1699, he disappeared like in thin air. They, they never even found the boat. No. Uh, never to be heard from again. Oh, boy. Uh, his treasure hoard was eventually found by Captain Pike, who used to sail with Avery, in a Cornwall graveyard. Uh, Pike died trying to recover it, and it was seized by the king's revenue officer. <laughs> oh, those so, kings. Even even the, the greatest pirate of all time cannot avoid the tax man. Always trying to take a few more dimes, those tax men. <laughs> Uh, the, the Jacobite uprising of 1745 was a, a war over succession of the British throne uh, between Charles Stuart and his Scottish supporters and the armies of King George II. Some captured Jacobite prisoners were transported to the Caribbean for labor, uh, but the Annabelle, uh, the, the ship that was doing these transportation runs, uh, was taken over by its captives following the Battle of Culloden, uh, which ended the uprising, and sailed to safety in France. Okay. Uh, that, that's where their leader, having lost the Battle of Culloden, was like waiting in exile. So they're like, yeah, it seems like a chill place to be. It does. And France was a pretty chill place to be if you were rich. I mean, th this is the era of Madame de Pompadour, uh, actress, artist, musician, dancer, courtesan, fantastic gardener. Mm -hmm. As official mistress of Louis XV, she was a patron of the arts and even assembled this incredible collection of clockwork automatons. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things in France were not chill for the nobility for long. <laughs> We are three Louis away from the revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the reign of terror. Uh, Robespierre was removed from power in 1794 with some help from James Sterling, an English spy who was deep undercover running one of Robespierre's prisons. Huh. Uh, just a, a fun little historical fact. Ian Fleming named James Bond as a bit of wordplay on James Sterling because like the, the Sterling Bond was a... Sort of financial oh. instrument. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So then we get to the Industrial Revolution, uh, launched in, in like the early 1800s, thanks to huge piles of profit made off the backs of colonial labor. And uh, children. Child labor back home, too. Uh, it brought new technologies, including a super efficient coal alternative. Oh. Unfortunately, the formula was lost when its discoverer died, uh, falling through the ice at the end of the 1814 Frost Fair. Frost Fair? Never hear anyone talking about that one. The, the climate used to be a lot colder in the early 1800s. Ah, uh, climate and, change. And, and the Thames would freeze over and they'd just like come out and, and put up tents and stands and people would ice skate around and, and uh, elephants were, were brought to stand on the ice for people to look at. Poor elephants must have been so cold. I hope they gave the elephants slippers. Uh, but that's the social impact of the Industrial Revolution is impossible to describe. Uh, one Victorian satirist described it as a gigantic metal man powered by orphan children stomping across the Thames, uh, destroying homes and neighborhoods. Dang. Uh, it's a striking image. Uh, another described the rapid jump forward in history as if a giant dinosaur were surrounded by the city. Yeah. Uh, the repressive class system uh, is part of the reason why so many were susceptible to scams and, and utopian communities like the ill-fated Sweetville. Sweetville? Uh, Sweetville was uh, this, this place in the north of England that, that promised a ticket to paradise but it was all just like this money extracting scheme from this old lady named Gillyweather, Gillyfeather, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, as soon as she died, the, the whole place just the, the, the bottom fell out from under it. And unfortunately, a lot of people's lives were ruined on the way. Prob that makes sense. It usually happens. 
uh, Charles Dickens was writing in this context. He, he personally thought spiritualism and superstition was bunk, even though his most famous story is all about a, a handful of ghosts visiting a guy. Yeah. Uh, he always said that if he believed in ghosts, he should be struck down dead himself. Well, he did die. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> earlier in the year he saw a real ghost. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Queen Victoria herself was no stranger to superstition. Uh, she even formed an institute uh, somewhere in Scotland in this manor house to see if there were any supernatural threats to the empire. I, it's not as outlandish as it sounds. Uh, there's this great white hunter, uh, Redvers Fen Cooper, who went mad on a journey to Africa came back thinking the queen was a rare bird that he had to hunt and, and stuff, like taxidermy style. That That's like the best thing ever. You should do a whole episode on that, please. <laughs> Maybe three. Maybe a three-part episode about Redvers Fen Cooper. Yes, please. But her empire was vast. I mean, famously, the sun never set on it. She even claimed a piece of Mars, for what it's worth. Like that part. That part right there. That one's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a time of flowering creativity. I mean, uh, this expanding urban working class needs uh, entertainment. I just remembered about like how there were always those commercials about naming a star for someone. Yeah. That makes me think of like naming Mars. Like, yeah, that little section right there that you can see, that one's yours. And yours, and yours, and yours, and yours. <laughs> that seems like the major perk to working at NASA. Like, anytime they land on a new spot, and there's a whole lot of rocks to name, so they know where they're sending their, their new rover for, like, three meters per day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of Christmas presents right there. <laughs> yeah. I like to think, though, that there's, like, a NASA employee. He's like, nope, that rock's named Waffles. <laughs> Don't yeah. you want to name it after your grandma? No. No. Waffles. Waffles. So yeah, so about flowering creativity in the uh, Victorian era. Uh, th this is when H.G. Wells was, was a young man and he would mine his youthful imagination for, for his whole career to come uh, as, as he grew up in the tw early 20th century. Also when London saw the famed magic act of Lee Zen Chang. Mm-hmm. Uh, and outside Britain, of course, I mean, Van Gogh painted his Sunflower series in the 1880s. In the place of his signature on the third, he wrote a dedication to someone named Amy. And art historians are still trying to figure out who that is. Like, that, that's not his mom. That's not any of the women in the village he lived. I'm sure it's not just graffiti. It's not graffiti if the artist does it himself. Do we have proof? Do we have a video? No. I mean, they, they've x-rayed this thing. They've done every test they can to prove that it is a genuine Van Gogh part of this series. Because, yeah, that, that was a popular, like, theory for a time. Yeah. Why it stands out. But that brings us to the 20th century. Uh, I feel like I need to speed up. So we're just going to just some rapid fire quick facts. Oh, okay. Okay. All I'm, right. I'm ready. 1913. There's a terrible tragedy that struck a boarding school. Some students were being trained in military exercises. Like the, the headmaster was this patriot from the Boer War, right? Uh, so, so they were like shooting at scarecrows for target practice. But for some reason, they were using live ammunition. That's not smart. And the best explanation we have for all the people that died in the village uh, is that some people were like manipulating the scarecrows so it looked live but they were hit not aware that they were using live ammunition so it's basically like they were shooting at the kids trick-or-treating it's so strange it it doesn't make any sense uh, in 1926, Agatha Christie disappeared for 11 days. She was recovered with no memory of the time, but an intense phobia of wasps. Or so she says. I, she could have been faking the phobia. I, I, <laughs> or the lack of memory. I always thought that's what they were doing on the Maury show whenever they'd have somebody, like they, they show them a cucumber and they flip out and run backstage. Yeah. And that that's a really cruel thing to do to people who do have mental illness because it's like a weird stigmatizing thing. Uh, the Empire State Building finished construction in 1930. Uh, there are some metal plates on the base of, of the spire, like the lightning rod. 
with weird conductive properties, but the blueprints containing their intended purpose have been lost. I guess they, they're just decorative now? I yeah, don't know. You know throw some, some decorative balls up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that, that drive for exploration, though, even in what we'd consider like really modern times was not entirely dead yet. In 1935, uh, Professor Edward Travers claimed to have discovered two separate breeds of Yeti outside the Detsen Monastery in Tibet. Okay. He was a real polymath. Like, was, he, he worked with electronics. Like, he was a world traveler. Was this the inspiration for Expedition Everest? Yeah. Like, some of his work was actually copied by uh, um, Joe Rohde, in like the the queue line, you can see some replicas of his notebooks. Oh, cool! Yeah, we haven't really talked about World War II history at all on this show, which seems like a big oversight. So, well, there's so many PBS documentaries. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I mean, this episode is called Everything, so I have to at least touch on it. Uh, Royal Air Force pirate Reg Arwell was lost in the clouds flying a mission over Europe. Uh, by some coincidence. When he touched down, it was in front of a country manor home that his wife and children were staying at to hide from the Blitz. Just incredible. There's a a Dr. Constantine in London. He worked at Albion Hospital. He was so successful that some of his patients were cured even after being declared dead. Dang, good job. Like, people wanted to find out, like, hey, Dr. Constantine, what's your secret? What happened here? He deflected by saying his successes were just paperwork mix-ups due to the war. Well, you know, actually, (laughs) that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Have you read The Little Princess? (laughs) The, The Royal Air Force Spitfire planes were so reliable that they became the basis of the UK's first spaceflight designs. Uh-huh. They're already flying in the atmosphere. Why not beyond it, I guess? Uh, but the, the war was won by the Allies in no small part because of the work of Dr. Judson. He was a codebreaker working in a secret lab in Northumberland. And he didn't want to just break codes. He wanted to invent a thinking machine that, that could break any code. This Ulta machine was actually part of his his true research purpose, decoding some ancient runes found in caves in Northumberland from, like, the Viking invasions. Oh. He was almost interrupted, and and the Ulta machine was nearly lost uh, because of a Soviet strike force that was sent to steal the unfinished technology, and then Soviet scientists would, like, cross the finish line with it, right? Yeah. But they failed in their mission— uh, exactly what happened is still classified, but it might have something to do with the deadly chemical spill that is still affecting the environment there. Maybe. Like, you still cannot grow, you know, plants around this uh, disused military base. Oh, that's not good. It's very bad. Don't go there. So uh, after the war, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, her, her she is, well, queen, uh, her coronation was the biggest media event of its day. Uh, we, we won't really have anything to compare it to until she dies, I guess. Which is probably soon. I mean, th- the odds say yes. That, uh, that lady old. But it was so big that the, that the king of Belgium was seen running through the streets, unable to, like, get in and, and find a seat. Really? Yes. Goodness. Uh, the, the 60s were a time of major upheaval. Uh, ni- November 1963, while over here the president is being shot, uh, there, there's explosions rocking, the st- rocking Trotter's Lane in the middle of London. Uh, a pair of school teachers were thought killed in those uh, events, but turned up in 1965, also deeply in love. Aww. Yeah. Uh, Rosa Parks instigated the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955 following her refusal to give up her seat. She was arrested at the hands of uh, the bus driver who had his fishing trip interrupted earlier that day to cover for a co-worker who suddenly won a vacation to Las Vegas. Nice. He really was not supposed to be in that bus that day. Well, I I meant nice for, like, the Vegas dude. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Trip to Vegas. And now he is not remembered as the guy who uh, called for... There you go. 
Lucky. He, he was like, man, dodged a bullet. Lucky twice. Uh, the, the need for order and organization uh, led to a lot more information technology, uh, sort of symbolized by Wotan, the first supercomputer. Does the computer want to be part of the Wu-Tang Clan? <laughs> you know, scientists and their acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was created in 1966 to be at the center of a global computer network. Unfortunately, it was used by its military investors to, to design experimental war machines instead. Oh. Uh, if it were working properly, maybe it could have avoided the London Underground service stoppage in 1969. It, it took the military weeks to clear out the tunnels for use. Yeah. So th all this chaos and perceived chaos led the international community to, to take steps, and they established the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. It, it's this body that was meant to be small and flexible and take an evidence-based approach to, to problem solving. Mm -hmm. uh, but in effect, it was a small, overfunded army that operated with practically no oversight. Ah, uh, yep. That tends to happen. I, its files are just starting to be declassified, and they paint an interesting picture. Uh, they led an armed attack on a plastic factory just because some shoppers got frightened by mannequins. <laughs> uh, they exploded an uh, uh, ancient cave system to make room for a particle accelerator and used a bacterial outbreak as a cover story. Uh-huh. Uh, they shut down a clean energy plant because their lead scientist had a weird dream about werewolves. Their nuclear-powered nerve gas missile was stolen just before the World Peace Conference they were supposed to be providing security for. Okay. Who is making nuclear-powered nerve, nerve gas missiles in the first place and giving it to these yahoos? Yeah, that sounds like a bad idea. I mean, th this is what happens when one of your ranking officers joins a new age cult that thought they could bring dinosaurs to the present day. Is it the farm? <laughs> it was something with golden in the name, I forget. But like, come on. I mean, in that recent episode, they were singing about how they're what killed the dinosaurs. So maybe the farm wants to bring them back. There we go. There we go. This, this Gotta is, remember uh, this theory for the next sex Archie. This is a sex Archie crossover. They even developed a protocol for destroying the entire planet, just in case. You just gotta be ready for everything. In case of what? Just, just, I don't know, in case, like, the mosquitoes get out of control. <laughs> it, it just goes on and on and on like this. Their, their records don't even have a consistent dating system, so who knows how much worse the reality could be. Uh, but in an effort to sort of distance the group from the international community, th they forced a name change to the Unified Intelligence Task Force, take the UN out of the name, uh, somewhere around the year 2000. What's what the thing? year 2000. You, you a big uh, old-time Conan fan, dear? No. Okay. But I remember that. <laughs> Uh, since the bulk of its resources and personnel were held in the UK, uh, Brexit is likely to completely collapse the organization. And to that, I say good riddance, actually. <laughs> Meanwhile, rewinding a bit from, from that digression, uh, the information age continued to, to dawn and flower, uh, thanks in part to Tobias Vaughn's invention of micromonolithic circuits, uh, which were instrumental in the Pharos Project's development of massive radio telescopes. Uh-huh. Eventually, the, these new uh, circuits would lead to us talking to you now, today. Hello! The Internet. Uh, the Internet, of course, was created by Geocomtex and its owner, uh, Henry Van Staten, until his sudden disappearance in the year 2012. What happened? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like, there are some theories that he just wound up as a drifter somewhere in like san diego or san pedro somewhere with an s did, did the internet just like suck him in <laughs> did they like feed off of him if you could download people's personalities into the internet it would take a, a massive amount of energy and if they got put back in their bodies there's a good chance they would die well i'm just thinking of like so many stories of like 
someone someone's creation being their demise. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying yeah. to figure out how the internet would what, kill a man. Well, he, he was also a major collector of, like, esoterica. And what if he got something that was cursed? <gasps> yes. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. But, I mean, we're also talking about the Cold War era here, uh, when, when all of human civilization could have disappeared in a day. And uh, at one point in 1983, it almost did. Oh, the, he was just accused of being a communist and, like, <laughs> shoved in a cave. Uh, That's what it was. Ah. Uh, in 2012, he was shoved in a cave for being a communist? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about this 1983 event, though. Uh, well, yeah, that's why I got all very confused about what time we're talking about. <laughs> so so this Soviet submarine, uh, it, it had a hull breach, and that, I don't know, like a console got wet or something, but, but for some reason, uh, its nuclear missiles were armed and nearly launched. Oh, no. Uh, they, they managed to, to shut them off, to, to disarm them and prevent the launch. Uh, but while they were, were working to, you know, not annihilate the planet by accident, they, they were recorded singing Hungry Like the Wolf. Okay. Which is apparently a, a message they were sending just in case some, like, American uh, subs or, or uh, sonar beacons were nearby to communicate, like, this This is not an act of war. This is We're, we're actually cool with you personally. Please, please and we're, we're really trying to hungry. fix it. Please send grilled cheese. <laughs> or burritos. We're not picky. Uh, efforts to make peace across the Cold War included a lot of international scientific efforts. I mean, you've got things like Skylab, but also Snowcap Station's mission to monitor objects in space from Antarctica. Yeah, you know, like I talked about in my episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it didn't provide... So many gro- ghosts. So many ghosts. So many ghosts. It, it wasn't perfect, uh, like the like when a comet landed in the grounds of Windsor Castle uh, on November twenty third, nineteen eighty eight. For some reason, they didn't see that one coming. Should have. Should have. Someone was sleeping on the job. So uh, the new millennium dawned uh, with New Year's Day in the year two thousand. Uh, the feared Y two K bug. The year two thousand. The, the, the feared Y2K bug didn't amount to too much besides some misprinted receipts. And, and a lot f- of people having pickle buckets of rice. <laughs> and a few people being able to walk through glass in the moments uh, approaching midnight. Well, yeah, you just run and it'll break. <laughs> no, but the the glass was complete. It was this, the darndest thing. Uh, I don't know about that. I think that's what they said. They just replaced it. Yeah. Like, yep, totally ran through that. That does make sense. That does make sense. Uh, but as we all know, the new millennium truly began uh, in a historical sense in the year 2005 when a pig-like alien crashed its ship through Big Ben, uh, revealing its original blue paint. Yes, yes. Uh, and crashed in the Thames River. Uh, the, the crisis ended shortly after when the Royal Navy fired a missile at Parliament. So that's a tough week to live in London, I gotta say. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that was the watershed moment that, that sort of created the world we've all been living in and, and finding a way to cope with sense. I mean, all of our listeners will surely remember where they were when, you know, during the ghost invasions that turned out to be a global army of metal men. Yep, I totally remember where I was. And that, and then those same metal men came back 10 years later, rising from graveyards. This has really shown the growth of the metalhead. <laughs> because of all the metal men. I mean... You can't have metal men without a metal head. When the new prime minister of Britain promised first contact with aliens and then his wife shot him. I love that movie. First contact's a great movie. (laughs) Millions brainwashed standing on the edges of rooftops. Then that star made of webs electrocuting people in the streets. Oh, I blocked that one out. Like, let's not talk about that. Do, Do you remember the replica Titanic that nearly crashed into the palace? 
Or Was ha- that like a new version of Titanic? The movie? <laughs> All three of those things happened on consecutive Christmases. Well, I told you, I've locked out. I, I think I had like some PTSD from Christmas because of that like giant spider web in the sky. Okay, okay. So I've just stopped remembering Christmas. How about the millions of fat blobs running in the streets worldwide? Nope. Th- those were cute. You would remember oh, dang those. Dang it. I miss the cute stuff. Or uh, the the Atmos emissions reduction units that were supposed to, like, save the uh, atmosphere instead pumped poison into it. Yeah, good job there. Where's the FDA? You know, that's not too different from everyday life with cars. How, how about when we woke up one day to see that the sun was gone and there were 28 strange planets in the sky? We haven't seen the sun in, like, two months. Okay, what about when the world was suddenly an unnavigable forest? Like, I must have been sick that day. Okay. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm, apparently I remember all the old stuff. I don't remember all this new stuff. Not, not even those, like, three-inch cubic black boxes that were everywhere for, like, a year. And then suddenly they all started, like, screaming and poking people. Dang, no! It was a year! They were here for a whole year! I think I thought it was a mailbox. <laughs> we, we used them for bookends! Did we get rid of them all? I hope. They left okay. after the, the poking. They left. After the poking. Oh, goodness. They got to learn to keep their hands to themselves. But, but clearly, we, we all managed to continue on with our lives all the same. I, I think the, the clearest example is uh, the opening ceremonies of the 2012 Olympic Games, uh, where everyone in the stadium disappeared in an instant. And then a few minutes later, came right back, and the festivities went on as if nothing happened. The, the games were a great success. Mm-hmm. And that's what I call resilience. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, we, we are now living peacefully side by side with a community of alien refugees in the American Southwest. Sorry, I'm, someone texted me about something for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you don't remember any of that stuff over the past 15 years. Because I've been planning yoga for 15 years. And, I mean, there are some bright spots, like uh, Ramon Salamander has been exposed as a killer and would-be despot, no matter how much he talks about philanthropy and all the good he did for the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like Jack Robertson is going to run for president in 2020, but, you know, we can overcome that, too. We can overcome every election that's ever going to happen in our future. I don't know about this mayoral race. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But as an observer, a longtime observer of human history once said, Homo sapiens, what an inventive, invincible species. It's only a few million years since they crawled out of the mud and learned to walk. They've survived flood, famine, and plague. Now here they are, out amongst the stars, ready to begin a new life, ready to outset eternity. They're indomitable. So darling, what have you learned? I learned that I missed a lot of the past, like, decade. We, we've been so focused on history, we've missed recent events. Yeah, I apparently. just stopped paying attention to what's going on in the world. So I guess I have some reading to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back to read your, your letters. And uh, happy April Fool's Day, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Yes, this is our very first April Fool's episode. Every fact you heard about history is... Uh, Most th- likely wrong? Yes, they're all wrong. <laughs> uh, the, the great majority are wrong. Uh, because this episode is a history of the, the planet Earth as presented in the television program Doctor Who. Something you've been wanting to do. Forever. And he was always like, if there's an April Fool's episode, I want it. I want to do it. That's the real life thing that came up that made this episode a day early. I didn't want to wait literal years until until the first falls on any Tuesday, let alone the one in four Tuesdays when it's my turn. (laughs) (laughs) 
this this is fun to put together. If you recognized what was happening, I'd be curious to know when. <laughs> and if you didn't, I'd be curious to know when what? you figured out there was something wrong, but but didn't, <laughs> but but weren't uh, familiar enough with the source to say what. Yeah. <laughs> Also, that does explain why this episode that I introduced as a history of everything was so darn Anglo-centric. Yes. I would never, never do that without once mentioning, I don't know, anywhere people don't speak the, the English language. Yeah. That's kind of messed up. But, yes, uh, one question I will not ask is for people to write in with all 93 episodes I referenced, because that's a list just for me. I I would not want to put anyone through that trouble. Probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea. But that brings us to our letters. Because I knew the framing device for this episode, I wanted to know people's favorite origin stories. Yes, And Joe wrote in uh, with their favorite origin story, Steven Universes, the the show, not the character. If you want to know the characters, you can just watch the show. Uh, But Rebecca Sugar was given the opportunity to pitch a show of their own to Cartoon Network uh, because of her work on Adventure Time being so, well, good. That made her the first woman to create a show for Cartoon Network and made what is uh, often called, and I couldn't imagine a, a rival for the title, the most queer-friendly cartoon in existence, at least to date. Yeah. Always look forward to the future. But as a non-binary person themselves, Joe sees Rebecca Sugar uh, as a, a role model uh, as great representation and, and someone to, to be really proud of in, in her success. And uh, rumor has it that behind the scenes back in, in uh, the Adventure Time days, uh, she was one of the driving forces for the Princess Bubblegum Marceline episodes that became a, a fan favorite ship that was eventually sort of confirmed in the finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Joe would like to explain the Latin they provided in, in their previous letter. Oh. It, it was, uh, and as always, do an episode on the Emu Wars. Well, that is not what Google Translate gave me. Uh, <laughs> this, of course, is a reference to uh, Cato the Elder's famous sign-off in all of his speeches in the Roman Senate, uh, Carthago Delenda Est, or Carthage Must Be Destroyed. No matter what the topic was, every speech would end that way. Yeah. It works for Cato's audience. It doesn't work for me. Because, again, don't read Latin. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. George wrote in to share their favorite kidnapping, uh, which is from Red Dead 2. Spoilers. <laughs> Just so you know. Spoiler warning. So this kidnapping is when Jack Marston is kidnapped because not only is he uh, fictional, uh, so no one gets hurt, but he has to eat. <laughs> Spaghetti, and then is returned safe and sound. So Yay, that's why it's spaghetti. George's favorite kidnapping. Yay, spaghetti. Uh, and also shares uh, their favorite band, which is either Eagles of Death Metal or Queens of the Stone Age, which apparently share a band member. <laughs> and uh, Eagles of Death Metal, George would like to explain, or explain, uh, is not death metal. It is garage rock. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's not helping you find your like crowd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got to make sure they know what your your music is. I'm not sure about this name. Well, that explains why I don't have a lot of people showing up to my shows playing drums for uh, the the ferrets of garage rock. We specialize in Delta blues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, George. Thank you, George. Claritic also has a favorite origin story this time of Canberra, the the capital city of her beloved, well, her lived-in Australia. Yeah. It's a pretty small city, and it exists simply to be the uh, capital. There is a dispute between uh, Sydney and Melbourne uh, as to who would be the capital and who, who would get all of that uh, prestige and... You know, the the business that comes with running a, a country. Mm-hmm. And so the, the compromise was to just build a city uh, uh, geographically between them. 
It is slightly closer to Sydney uh, as part of the concession to Melbourne uh, for being the interim seat of government while Canberra was being built. This is a similar story that, that our American listeners can, can uh, identify with to the establishment of uh, Washington and the District of Columbia in which it sits. Yes. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Claritech. And that's all the letters we have this episode. Yeah. If you would like to send us a letter, where can those go, dear? Podcast at gmail.com. And that's where we want to hear your show suggestions, your questions, your stories, your corrections. I dare you to correct me on anything this episode. <laughs> I have the power of too much trivia knowledge on my side. Yeah. Yes. Next time there's a discontinuity guide that, that wants to uh, blend some recent seasons uh, call me. <laughs> I will fit Kill the Moon into uh, Warriors from the Deep. I just did an hour ago today. <laughs> but also your prompt responses. And darling, what would you like the people to, to s- send us for next episode? Uh, I want you to tell me what your favorite deadly disease is. <laughs> oh, so we're getting right back to the regular episodes then. Yep. <laughs> Okay, and those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're out there, why not tell a friend that you listen to us? Tell somebody who's a fan of, I don't know, uh, 55-year and counting science fiction properties uh, that, that we have fun here. Yes, we do. Yeah, Yeah, we do. One thing that I would like to tell you because of a friend, is that you can go to Kickstarter right now and find the second edition of Fellowship. Uh, This is a fantasy adventure tabletop game, a a bit more traditional than than Final Bid, from the designer of Final Bid, my my good friend Jacob. And uh, it has had a fantastic first few days of fundraising. But uh, not only is it getting a new second edition, it is getting two full expansion books, possibly three by the end of the campaign. So it is either tripling or quadrupling in size. Uh, So that is definitely worth your attention. The the link is going to be in the show notes. Check it out. Check it out. I love that game. It is is my favorite game of its kind. Yeah. Yes. So with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.